Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. In today's episode, I want to briefly talk to you about my, I would say, limited understanding of coding. Um, I am not a coder by trade. Um, I know a lot of friends and colleagues in the hand and foot world that are extremely more knowledgeable in coding um, because they have to deal with the complicated aspect of multiple codes and multiple procedures for every case. Um, in our world, you know, basically total knee code, total hip code, it's pretty simple revision code, one component, you know, both components. But, um, I think in the office there's more of a disconnect. Um, and hopefully, um, you have had exposure to coding in med school or in residency or on rotations. Um, I had pretty much none. I remember going into practice and, uh, it was like, you know, okay, um, here's your bill, fill it out. I, I had no idea. Um, so, you know, I asked a lot of questions and I'm sure I probably did it wrong for a while. And, you know, I'm still to this day, you know, learning why, because coding is evolving. The insurance companies constantly change the rules, um, and it makes things difficult. And then you have competing interests, right? You have the doctor just trying to do their job, which I think in a lot of ways, if you work in a setting where you just gave paid a salary, It's kind of nice because you see the patient and you do what you have to and what's important and um, and you you dictate it and you move on to the next patient. You know, in a RVU based or productivity based model, um, you know, you got to see the patient. um, You have to do your job and care for the patient, but you have to dictate it appropriately and code it appropriately. And sometimes it's a matter of you know one little line, and then you have these. EMR companies coming in and selling a bill of goods to hospitals and institutions like, oh, yeah, we have a great way that you can upload all this different stuff and, you know, it adds all this information so you can upcode. Um, and then you have the insurance companies doing everything in their power to go back and figuring out, okay, well, how do I, you know, combat that and um, and downcode? But it's a weird battle, right? You know, our business is like the only business where I think you could ever, you know, have companies you hear about insurance companies where, you know, they go back retroactively and, you know, review cases from three, four, five years ago and realize maybe that you didn't document appropriately. So, you know, they, they feel they overpaid you. So although you submitted a bill now four years down the road, they're going to withhold money that they owe you because they feel that they overpaid you years ago. I mean, it never would happen in any actual real business model. Um, you know, and then there's a lot of things that we do for free. And I think physicians are dumb because of that reason from a business standpoint, right? We always want to care for the patients. Um, you know, the, the global is the key glaring thing, right? You know, if, if you have a patient who has an H and P and a surgery and one or two post-op visits, you know, 90 day global, all that's included in the fee. Um, so be it, but you know, we're taking care of many more complicated patients, that, you know, the H&P is not straightforward. Um, there's a huge discussion. There's a huge component. There's a lot more testing in labs. And you have to assimilate all of this information. And then those more complicated patients require a lot more time on your, ha- st- uh, on your hands 
making phone calls that essentially are free and, you know, having the patient come back to the office for wound checks and rechecks and all of those visits start to add up. So, you know, I believe that, you know, we're definitely not getting paid, um, for the work that we do. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about in public because, you know, outside of medicine, everybody, you know, has the understanding that doctors make a good living and we do. Um, you know, but when you look at all the data and you see inflation and the amount of work required and many more studies are coming out showing, you know what, we're not getting paid well enough for, for what we do and the risk that we take. So, you know, if we were making an actual good amount for say a total knee or total hip, um, you know, I'd say that would be for the procedure and that those visits shouldn't necessarily be part of that 90 day global, or, um, you should have some extra billable event that may not be, um, the standard established, but you know, some different sort of code that you could allow that would say, Hey, you get two post-op visits, but you know, if you have more than two, you can bill for those, you know, what's the downside people abuse the system. So let's say you, you had a global that included two visits. You're going to get doctors seeing their patients every week just so they could upcharge. Um, so we, we've created a lot of the problems ourselves, but that kind of gets off on a crazy tangent. Um, the gist of this I wanted to talk to you about is uh, office visits and and the idea that I see a lot of people have some um, just issues understanding like what, what we're actually talking about. So realistically, there's really kind of three office visits. Um, and in reality now, just two. So you have established visits, you have new visits, and consultations. Um, and consultations basically are disappearing quickly, um, if not completely. Um, and, you know, many insurers won't pay for them anymore. So even if you do try billing a consult, um, they're going to downcode it, or your biller coders are going to downcode it to a new. There's probably some specialties in the future if those codes exist that you may still be able to bill, but in our world, um, you know, I have very few, if any, uh, insurance companies that still will pay for a consult. You know, and a consult has to include a request from a doctor. So this is a specific doctor uh, sending a patient to you for a specific problem. You know, and in the consult, you need to dictate that. You know, this patient was referred by doctor so and so for this particular reason, um, and then you have to evaluate and you know render this care and say, you know, I, I evaluated the patient, you know, this is all the normal, you know, HPI, physical, all that stuff has to be in there. But, you know, basically this is the diagnosis and this would be the plan. Um, and then you have to report this person back to their doctor. So you say, okay, I made this decision and this is the plan. And then I'm going to send you back to the doctor and they're going to execute all those things. You know, as soon as you accept care of the patient, you know, even if someone sends a patient to you for knee pain, but you assume care and you're going to do a total knee, it's not a consult anymore, um, but mo many insurance companies won't pay for that. So let's talk about the difference between new and established. So new visits; these are the nine nine two zero one two three four five. Um, so a new visit is a patient that is new to you, um, and they cannot have been seen for three years by the same group and the same specialty. Now, this gets a little confusing based on where you're at, so you have to understand the rules. Like in our setting, um, hand is its own subspecialty. So even though they're orthopedists, if they've been seen by the hand guys, I can bill it as a new visit, but if they've been seen by the sports or foot and ankle or spine or shoulder, that's part of the same group um, under our billing umbrella. So that's um, not a new, that would be an established visit. So you have to kind of understand. and. You know, it's weird because 
technically, if you did a knee replacement on someone five years ago, from my understanding, and they haven't been seen in five years, so it's, you know, new to, you know, the group, new to the visit in three years, technically still a new visit. Um, but if you've seen them two years and 360 days ago, it's still an established because it's been within three years. So an established visit is anybody that's been seen within three years, um, even if they haven't been seen by you, but they've been seen by someone in your group, in your specialty. Um, so this is where it gets a little confusing. And these are the 9921 codes, you know, one through five. Um, so the important thing, and you would love it if your biller coders would do this ahead of time. Um, you know, our old, if you go back to systems where we actually had a bill on the actual bill, it was very nice up top, it would say last seen. Um, and it actually had the date, you know, now we've gone through all scripts and now with Epic and it's more confusing than ever. And it would be really nice if it just kind of popped up that, you know, seen by Dr. So-and-so on this date, um, patient is, you know, established for you or new for you because they haven't been seen within three years. Um, that would make my life a whole lot simpler, but maybe in there, maybe the institution didn't buy it, but doesn't pop up and no one's ever pointed it out to me um, in an easy to understand format. But that's the important thing for you to understand. Three years, that's the big cutoff to the day. Um, same group, same specialty. So um, the next um, important thing to understand is the difference in those levels. And we talk about levels two, three, four, five. Um, for the most part, um, most people in our world bill level three, most visits are level three. Um, and that's going to cover sort of your evaluation. Um, you can do these based on time. So I do know a lot of people that, um, when we see patients, a lot of times it's complicated, especially if you're talking about surgery or a complex issue. And if it's a focused exam on say the knee, you know, there may not be a whole lot of other, uh, stuff that you're adding in there as far as the HPI and the social history and the family history, surgical history, um, and the rest of the exam. Although with the EMRs, they'd love to sell it to you that, oh yeah, we auto-populate all that stuff. And a lot of that stuff can be in there, um, especially if the patient has input it ahead of time themselves. They've basically been questioned, so the data is there. But you may be doing a lot of stuff based on time. Um, and I've heard this two ways. So, you know, I've, I've seen it discussed as an average time. Um, so the way I kind of always understood that if I wasn't actually calculated on my watch was approximately X number of minutes has been spent with the patient where the biller coders like, nope, they want, you know, not approximate. They want actual number that or above. Um, so it doesn't get kicked back. So when we're talking about a level three, um, what we're actually talking about, if it's an established patient is 15 minutes of time. Whereas if it's a new patient, it's 30 minutes. So what you may see in some notes, if there's not a huge physical exam, and a lot of it has been discussions, is you may say 15 minutes of time was spent with a patient, more than 50% of that time was spent on patient counseling. Or if it's a new visit, you know, 30 minutes was spent with a patient, more than 50% of the time was spent on patient counseling. It's great if you have a stopwatch or you kind of know exactly... You know, I know a lot of the hospitalists, if they're walking into rooms, you know, you open up the computer and start your note. Um, it's a really easy way to track when the encounter started. You know, I still try to look my patients in the eye and talk to them and touch them and examine them um, as opposed to touching a keypad and having my back to them. So I try not to open up 
the electronic medical record, so I don't have that note started in a timestamp. So I'm trying to watch my time when I'm entering and exiting the room. Now, if it's a level four visit, the times are a little different. So for an established visit, level four, your time would be 25 minutes. And a new visit would be 45 minutes. So you're very rarely going to see a doctor in orthopedics for a knee patient in the room for 45 minutes. Um, And a level five, 60 minutes. Now, do I hit those level fours and fives for new patients? Yes, rarely. When is that? Typically, this is a second, third opinion that is coming into my office with usually prior surgery and a complex history. You know, they have x-rays, they have op notes, they have multiple scars, they have, you know, usually some issue about outcome and infection. And this is a long discussion. You know, this is a visit that takes a lot of time. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll put in there all those things of, you know, the fact that it's complicated, um, you know, and very, very detailed history, very, very detailed exam, you know, and I'll go through all those records, any x-ray op note, you know, although it's scanned in, you know, I give a little brief summary of, you know, op note on this date, you know, pertinent findings, maybe implant sizes, you know, x-rays, you know, all the x-rays, you know, pertinent findings. Um, but I'll put in there, you know, those descriptors of the time because of the complexity. But for the most part, most visits are level three, you know, newer established and occasionally level four for the complicated patient. So it's important um, to know exactly like what that requires though, because, you know, a lot of people will bill level four and although you may have done the work, if you did not document it, it did not occur. Um, So there's some really neat cheat sheets that you can get. Um, Sometimes the biller coders will have and, you know, they give you a little dry erase thing. It kind of reminds you like you have, you know, how many parts of the HPI do you need? How many things of the physical exam? How many things of the review of systems? Um, couple interesting little things that, you know, I found over the years that are somewhat helpful. Um, but if you're doing, say, you know, an established level four, you know, for the most part, I'm billing based on time. But, you know, in your history, um, there's this sort of reminder of the four two, one. So you need four elements of the HPI in the history, you know, two organ systems, you know, and one extra element of the past medical or past family or social history. Um, and then in the exam, you need four of four. So it's um, four items in four different organ systems. So, you know, it's a little bit harder if you're talking about orthopedics because you're talking about the musculoskeletal system. You know, did you listen to their heart? You know, did you bring a stethoscope? Did you listen to their lungs? You know, did you do a neurologic exam, which, you know, we can sort of incorporate, you know, that neuro exam um, and the orthopedic, but you may not be hitting four different organ systems. You know, the other issue is 12 bullet points. So even a negative, you know, is considered a bullet point. So if you go through 12 different systems, um, it's going to be hard in an orthopedic environment. So you'll see a lot of interns or medical students come through and maybe that thorough, but when you're busy and you're seeing multiple patients, you may not go through every system that way. And I do not recommend, and I think it's dangerous to, you know, use this sort of auto population system, um, if you're not going to go back and look at it, because, you know, if there's people that will use like the, the negative for everything and they have it all in there and then they're physically going back and adding when those things are positive. But, you know, if you don't go back and change those things, you know, you're, you're instituting this, you know, issue of, you know, medical things in the note that aren't necessarily correct. So you have to be very cognizant of how you use the current EMR systems. Um, and if you're going to try to use all these little negative drop-ins, you know, just be aware that if you 
default them to a negative and they're positive, you may have to make sure that you go back and change it. So um, the gist of all of this is if you're in the office, for the most part, you're not going to be building a console. You're going to be building, you know, a new or established. The big cutoff becomes three years, same group, same specialty. Um, if they have been, it's established, even if you haven't seen them. If they haven't, it's new. Um, a level three, established 15 minutes, new 30 minutes, um, established four, 25 minutes, new 45 minutes, and then just have your pertinent things. Because, you know, as an orthopedist, we're fixating on the joint. Um, and when I talk to people though, I'm, you know, I'm a doctor first. So, you know, I may not go into super detail like their specialist would or their primary, but it's all part of the same person. So I will, in my assessment and plan, if someone's overweight, I will document that as, you know, right knee pain, osteoarthritis, but number two becomes obesity, BMI of 37. And in the plan, I'm discussing the fact that I talked to them about their weight and the importance of weight management and gave them my handouts on weight management. And if they're diabetic, I'm putting that in there. Number three, diabetes, whether or not insulin controlled or non-controlled diabetes, uncontrolled diabetes, because again, in my plan, I'm discussing the importance as a doctor, hey, Number one reason for non-traumatic amputation in the U.S., uncontrolled diabetes. Number one reason for blindness in the United States, diabetes. Talk to them about control of their sugars. If they've done well, I give them the two thumbs up and congratulate them. But um, I put that in there, and it takes you know one little you know line to discuss it. But I, I noticed it. I talked to them about it, and I mentioned it. I put that in the note. Um, if they're a smoker, it's in there. If they're cardiac disease, I put it in there for two main reasons. You know, one, are they on a beta blocker? Two, are they on a blood thinner? Um, and again, little one-liner, but I noticed it. I mentioned it. I talked about it. I put it in there. And, you know, why is all of that important? Well, I don't remember every single patient. You know, I would say I used to when I started. I remembered everything because I didn't have a whole lot of patients and I wasn't that busy. You know, now after 15 years, the number of patients grows exponentially and you're seeing a lot more people and some you may not see for years. Um, and some, you know, you may see very frequently after you meet them for their consult and operate on them. And, and all of those things are fresh in your brain. But if I haven't seen somebody in say nine months, um, and they're overweight and now they've lost weight, I want to congratulate them. And if they were overweight and gaining weight, I want to talk to them about it some more or maybe refer them on to a specialist. If they're diabetic, um, I want to know because I give out the same spiel for every cortisone injection, but when I see the diabetes, you know, I reinforce the fact their sugars may go up. Um, if somebody is on a blood thinner, you know, it reminds me to ask, are you still on the blood thinner? And if so, I'm not going to be recommending Motrin, Advil, and Aleve if they have some swelling and pain from their arthritis. Um, and if they have a procedure, it lets me know that I have to be aware of the bleeding issue, even from a needle stick in the office, or if we're going to have surgery, you know, I have to get cardiac involvement for clearance. So it is in there for particular reasons, but from the insurance company, the billing standpoint, it proves that you did it, you talked about it, you mentioned it, and it's in your note. Um, but I find that those things are really important when you're doing billing because it makes you a better provider because you don't forget what those patients' main medical issues are, even though you're just seeing them back for their knee arthritis or their hip arthritis. You know, you, re you remember also they've been struggling with their weight, they're diabetic, and they're on some chemical agent for blood thinning because they have atrial fibrillation. Um, and these are all pieces of the puzzle that allow you to render better care.
Um, so a whole bunch of information on coding. And again, just a brief overview. Um, I am not an expert, you know, my, you know, again, my hand and foot and ankle guys are kind of jealous because, you know, my, my surgeries are essentially, you know, half a dozen codes and, you know, in the office, you know, essentially we got four codes, you know, new established level three, level four. Um, but when I'm doing those things, again, I'm also adding in the codes for obesity, diabetes, smoking, heart disease, um, in addition to my arthritis, primary, secondary, post-traumatic, et cetera, what have you. So, you know, knowing those codes and having a cheat sheet, um, saving them as your favorites in your EMR, um, this makes your life a whole lot simple. And although it may take a lot of time in the beginning, um, it's going to pay itself off in the end because it makes you more efficient towards the end of the day. Most importantly, though, I would say is take a coding course. Um, Karen Zipko, um, and associates, I mean, they do great coding courses. You know, I have a lot of, uh, friends and colleagues that like the, uh, the Academy AAOS Codex, um, cause it's nice cause you can, I haven't played with it in years, but you know, it used to be able to, you can cross reference back and forth. So you can go from CPT code to your ICD code or vice versa. So if you have a diagnosis and you're looking for a code, um, it allows you to go back and forth, which is really, really a nice option, especially in those procedures where you're doing multiple procedures, like in the hand and the foot. Um, again, for the knee, pretty simple, you know, total knee replacement. Um, but, uh, definitely food for thought and something to keep, um, your eyes open to in your fourth and fifth year of practice and in fellowship because all of a sudden the thing changes and one day you're the attending and they go, okay, Bill. And if you haven't had any experience, um, you're going to be learning on the go. So it's a lot easier to ask questions ahead of time and start to have an understanding before you start your first day of practice. So thanks again for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.